Cheers. Cheers. I'm Hamby. Oh, and I'm Kana. Welcome to Diplomacy Games, the uh, podcast about all things diplomacy. You'd be forgiven for thinking it was about us drinking, but no, it is about diplomacy. Are you sure? <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> I reckon this is actually a drinking podcast with occasional references to diplomacy, maybe. No, 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 no. It's, it's, a, it's a drinking podcast where we get to discuss our favourite podcasts. Okay, I can go with that. <laughs> so, um, we're both sharing the same um, same beer today. 150 Lashes. The old James Squire 150. Nothing quite like it. It's, it's a good job. I know. I was kind of hoping, though, that your original selection, which I was going to get to, the uh, Little Creatures IPA that have on tap, but kegs out. Kegs out. Kegs out. Supply issues. Mmm. Actually, where are we drinking? We're at the Royal George in Fortitude Valley. Right in the heart of the entertainment district. Which is now open almost totally. Except for dancing. Except for dancing. You know, it's that whole Kevin Bacon footloose problem happening at the moment. Yeah, so tell your story. I went up to order these beers. Yep. And I got the beers, and as the, um, the FPOS is waiting to load, the, um, the bartender, she starts dancing. <laughs> to the music. I sort, of, she, I sort of look at her and she goes, ooh, ooh. She stands up there straight. Oh, sorry, can't have fun. No. No, everybody cut, everybody cut. But nightclubs are open. Yeah, nightclubs are open, but you can't dance in them. And I, I have no idea how that's going to work. It's going to put, put enough chairs there so people can pop on their chair. Yeah, they'll just naturally, as I was saying to you before we started, like at, at my age, when you just move to the music, that's kind of pretty much dancing at my age. <laughs> Breaking out when you start moving your hands. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know what, what's the regulation on how they actually decide what's dancing and what's not. We'll have to go back to uh, Footloose and check what the rules are there. Line dancing? What if you're line dancing one and a half metres away from each other? Yeah, I don't know. But everything else is open. It's like... The veil's lifted. Like, today was the first day they've got bar service. So, like, yeah. up until now, whenever we've been going occasionally to the pub for the show, That's we've good. had to book, we've had to be seated at our tables. They would come out, table service only. Now it's bar service. So we don't even have to drink. Just drink. We don't even have to eat food. We can just drink, 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 which is kind of like the... Great. Great. <laughs> like it used to be. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> mm. uh, actually, we've got a great interview lined up today. Yeah, which one are we going to play first? Yeah, we actually have two interviews. We're going to, listeners, we're going to back and back this drinking podcast yep. um, episode with another episode where we'll be even more trashed, but we'll have moved to another location. And then we'll have some patrons and we'll be even episodes and we'll be even more trash for them. Exactly. Um, I thought we would start with the discussion around duplicity. Yeah, okay, cool. I think it's a good idea. So, um, we... <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, let's get to our interview with, uh, we think it's Martin Bruce. No, it is. Bruce, hey? Bruce? We kind of asked him during the interview, but it's now been about a week since we interviewed and I can't remember, so, sorry, Martin. Um, but I think he kind of said when he's dealing with people who speak English, because he's Swedish by background, our first Swedish interview, although yes. he's in Switzerland. Our yep. first Swiss interview as well. 
but uh, he said like when he's dealing with anglicised people like us, he just goes with Bruce because we it's understand easier. that it's easier. And geez, yep. being Aussies, you know, we we we're into Bruce's. Yeah, we're we're not very good at accents. No, terrible at them actually. Yeah. Um, so how about we go one? Yeah, yeah, and we'll um, have a chat on the other side of it. Yeah. So first up, before we go to throw it, uh, Martin is the um, the creator of the Duplicity Android app. Yep. Um, and he he was put onto us by um, and the website you can access on I, on iOS. Oh, on any device. On any device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, obviously it works a little bit different, but still good. Anyway, how about we throw to it? Uh, Martin Bruce, uh, welcome to the Diplomacy Games podcast. Great to have you on. Uh, thank you. I'm uh, I'm happy that you want to have me on. And I, I guess the main thing that we wanted to to touch base with you is um, the the Android app that you've created recently uh, called D- D- Diplicity. Uh, would you like yeah. to tell us a little bit about that? Um, well, yeah, sure. Um, it started out after I had created the the predecessor, so to speak, Droidippy. Um, but Droidippy was collapsing under its own weight. Uh, it was using uh, an adjudicator engine that, for various reasons, didn't really cut it. Um, and the community was getting more and more abusive. And I uh, figured I wanted a fresh start, but I, I wasn't really interested in building the front end, the client, because that's not my expertise and it's so much work and everyone has so many opinions. So I, I uh, started building a new adjudicator. Um, I even wrote a diplomatic pouch article about it. And then I uh, started building a server and I managed to find a few other developers who were building uh, web clients for their own diplomacy services. And and I talked them into uh, integrating with my backend so that we could sort of split the work. They built the front end and I built the backend. Um, But uh, life is complicated and things take time. So I ended up finishing the server much sooner than they finished the front ends. So I started building an Android app uh, as like a proof of concept, uh, maximally simple application to talk to my server just so it would be possible to play. Uh, And it ended up being the main client because no other client really got properly finished to handle all the variants that we implemented and so on. So so the Android app duplicity up until about a month ago or something was really just a proof of concept, uh, uh, like an example application that talked to my backend. Uh, and my, my intention from the start was that someone else would build a frontend for my backend, but that never happened. Uh, so yeah, we only had this this uh, example frontend that people used and it worked, but I was never really happy with it. Uh, and then I, I started playing around with the, the idea of uh, renting it out to one of these uh, task communities where you can uh, buy the services of a UX expert or a front-end engineer to, to build a front-end. Um, but, but I didn't get any really trustworthy results 
I, I hired someone to try to build a new user interface flow for the front end, but the results weren't, they were basically just copies of what I already had. So I, I started up prototyping it on my own in the shape of a regular web page that would talk to my server. And then uh, uh, people in the community started uh, contacting me and asking if they could help. And one of them was uh, Joran, who uh, is a UX expert. And he uh, started helping us design the app so that it actually looks good and is easy to use, which was the main problems with the old app. Uh, so me and uh, Tom, uh, who were the main developers before that, uh, started getting expert advice on what the app should look like and, and uh, how it should work. Uh, and then uh, if maybe a month ago or something, we started launching the new app. So, well, and there we are now. I've, I've um, downloaded the app, um, Martin, and I'm just waiting for a chaos game to start. It's at 32 players um, and you need 34 for the chaos map to to get started yeah and after that it's quite a quite a lovely looking um it's a fairly intuitive app to navigate around um yeah i think so yeah yeah um and you've got quite a number of variants actually available um as as part of um part of the app um I guess I guess we'll, I'll question that you around those a little bit later, um, but I was I was quite easy for me to download and install it on an Android phone, um, yeah. but Ambi has an iPhone, um, and we we're just talking off recording just a bit earlier how you go about um, accessing the uh, duplicity if you had an iPhone. Well, uh, I would recommend using. Uh... Safari or Chrome or whatever browser you prefer on your phone and just uh, navigate to duplicity.com. Then you get the, basically the same experience <coughs> except for notifications because uh, iOS doesn't allow push notifications to browsers. Um, but the email, email notifications work fine, uh, last time I checked at least. And you will get uh, every conversation with the other players uh, in a separate thread in your mail client. <coughs> and um, when it comes to to that, um, um, the, I suppose users who are coming in and, and playing the games now. You mentioned Martin that this is obviously a, um, building off the original Droid Dippy um, work. Um, have you been able to migrate many people from that platform through to Diplicity, or the how, how's how's that working? Um, when I first, when I first launched the Duplicity app, when the server was working and the app, the client application was working, and I, I uh, felt it actually worked, even if it wasn't complete and it didn't have all the features Droidipi had. I, uh, if I remember correctly, I think I shamelessly plugged it in the Droidipi forums and maybe even pushed. Uh, adds <laughs> to, to the games in Droidipi uh, that now we had, that the successor is now started for the first time and you can try it out. Uh, a lot of people felt that the new app was much worse than the old one, uh, which 
Well, I didn't think it was, but but uh, I'm definitely no expert at user interfaces, so so it it might have been, um, but it was um, much more uh, logically uh, sort of partitioned in the code, at least. So it was easier to program than the old the old application. Uh, and and the the main point was that it it used a network interface to the server that was very much easier for other people to understand. So I was hoping that someone else would build another app, client application for the same server. Uh, and and uh, the server was much more both uh, flexible and powerful. So I was pretty sure that the problems that Droidip had at the time, that the server had to be restarted a couple of times a day because of memory leaks, wouldn't happen uh, with the new game. So I felt that both the server and the client had a higher technical quality, even though the user interface got some complaints. Um, other people actually liked it. So. I, I managed to, to migrate uh, some users, uh, and, and I think even today I sometimes look at the conference chats in games and see someone saying, oh, I haven't played this before, but I played Droidip. So, so people did rediscover it, I think. So, so with that um, that feedback around the user interface, was that before or after Joran got involved with the um, the UX side? Uh, that was before. It was the first uh, sort of my proof of concept client that I created just because I wanted there to be a working client to my new fancy server. I was, okay. as I, yeah, as I said, I, I was really hoping that other people would would uh, <clears throat> sort of uh, uh, pick up the torch and build uh, clients to my server. And, and uh, a few people started doing that. And some of them actually built clients that you could play at least the classical version on, but but they never um, uh, became feature complete enough to be uh, a serious alternative to the Android app, I think. So you've been kind of um, giving your time for many years now developing this and, and obviously um, DrawDB before that. Um, what 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 I suppose drives you to do that? What's your interest in that particular space? Um, I think it. I like the game a lot. Um, I have never been a particularly good diplomacy player, uh, and I haven't played it uh, super much face to face either. Um, but I really like the game, and I like—I I think I even like the idea of the game more than I like playing it, actually. <laughs> but but I, I, I like playing it as well, even if I don't really have time now. Whenever I try, I, I am far too uh, absent from the negotiations, and I, I lose. I think it is because I'm not active enough. Um, but then again, also, the, the, the technical problems are fun. And uh, it's always very rewarding when when uh, a community of people actually enjoy and get some good use from what you have built just out of interest and, uh, uh, I, I don't know, idle energy. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, so so what, what aspects of diplomacy 
do you enjoy most? I like the fact that it is uh, completely without randomness. It is only about convincing other people to trust you just long enough and uh, uh, well enough to, to let you stab them before they stab you. It is, uh, it's like the, I have been interested in, in uh, <clears throat> artificial intelligence for a long time. <clears throat> and, and when I was a kid and, uh, and the computer beat a human in chess for the first time, that was a pretty big day. And then later on, when, when DeepMind uh, created a Go player that could beat a human in Go, that was even bigger. Uh, and after that, I have actually uh, seen papers where DeepMind are now working on, on diplomacy. And I think that diplomacy is, is like the, I don't know if it's the next, but it's a very big challenge for artificial intelligence because it's such a, it's such a human game. It's all about uh, trust, building trust and, and uh, reading other people and knowing if you can trust them in a way that no other game really has. So, so it's a very unique game. Um, it's like yeah. a perfect model of, of social human, uh, human social structure in some sense. No, yeah, I totally agree. And I, and I think one thing over at um, web diplomacy, they've obviously implemented um, AI there using bots, but it's it's very much using that um, that uh, multi-nodal type of approach to understanding the way that tactics basically occur and and the way that I suppose. Um, people normally respond but there's no communication and that's obviously a core element which is once the uh, the artificial intelligence nails that that's that's when we're in a um, a der- very different environment i think yeah definitely i mean f- to me personally uh, diplomacy without communication is uh, almost pointless it turns into a more stupid form of chess or go uh, I, I, for to me, to me, the, the communication between the players is, is the whole point of the game. Mm. It'd be really interesting to see if the computer can, or if AI can, learn how to um, sort of shadow communication through their tactical moves. For instance, with gunboat, you can show that you want to have support, or you are friendly with a neighbour by ordering a support hold, whether or not that support hold succeeds, the neighbour can see that that player is kind of offering support to their neighbour. Um, you know, it, it's a variant of diplomacy, but it, it would be interesting to see whether the AI could pick up on some of that um, communicative behaviour um, and whether or not it could be, it, it can use it for its own benefit so to speak as a good gunboat player yeah there are there are a few different projects uh, trying to build communication for bots in diplomacy without bringing in natural language understanding which is of course a whole other problem so i guess gunboat uh, negotiations of the kind you speak would be like if uh, another variant instead of having like a chat protocol 
where you send organized uh, alliance offers or and reject or accept them like in uh, diplomacy uh, uh, there's something called didi i think uh, which is like a project that tries to build diplomacy bots along those lines so yeah i i think that would definitely work i mean the artificial intelligence research has, has tried to build working prisoners dilemma uh, ais for a long time and i mean that's really similar so i think i think that is probably not a huge problem uh, building a gunboat or or sort of a defined chat protocol ais but but getting the human human natural language into it so that the the bot can read in my chat messages if i am going to stab them next round or if i am still trustworthy that's that's the thing that uh, really makes me want to to see this uh, developing further it would be absolutely fascinating i absolutely agree um yeah watch this space into the future um yeah, yeah. um hey back to back to duplicity um quickly um yeah. you've got you've, you've got the classical variant and you've got well the classical map of course the seven player yeah game but you've got 15 let's count of them 15 other variants from around the place um and the maps look great by the way like i love that old timey kind of um turn of the century feel to the maps um nice so sort of the, the color scheme of them is really nice that was um, actually the first thing that we uh, started improving uh, far before the new client was was ready to play uh Joran felt that the maps looked too shoddy and and he created a completely new map for classical uh, i think he he based it heavily on a map by a redditor um, who is, uh, I think, credited in our uh, README and in the variant info. Um, but that map is is a huge improvement, and I completely understand why you like it. Mm. Yeah, it, it, and I, I think, um, I think I've actually thought out for myself. I, I've, I've grabbed that similar. I might have the actual map that you've been ref- that you're referring to. Um, yeah. And I got it. I took it down to a printing store and got it printed on a large <laughs> canvas because I just loved it so much. Um, uh, on, on, so I'm just going to read out some of the variants um, that you've got. Uh, you've got Canton, 1800 empires and coalitions, Cold War, Europe, 1939, 100 North Sea Wars, 2020 Vietnam War. Western World, 901, Youngstown Redux, um, the Vietnam War. Um, and some of them I'm not familiar with. I'm just kind of wondering where they came from, like Vietnam War and 2020. I haven't I haven't seen or been aware that these things were even in, in development. <coughs> so uh, when I built the adjudicator, I don't know, maybe seven years ago, six years ago, I wanted it to be easy to implement variant rules and variant maps. Uh, and and uh, I have, we have been sticking to that in the in this game server and in the clients. So it's still, I don't know exactly how it is in other 
uh, diplomacy services to create new variants, but it is relatively simple in, in uh, duplicity. So uh, uh, Tom, for example, who has implemented most variants in duplicity, he created 2020 from scratch after he had like ported a bunch of other variants from uh, VD or web diplomacy or other uh, services. Uh, then he was created one on his own, and that was 2020. Uh, I think Vietnam War was created by another uh, <coughs> player in the uh, duplicity community who, who uh, wanted to create uh, his or her own variant. And I think Tom gave some instructions, and we even have like a, a documentation uh, web page now and some uh, tools to help you build the map, because the map is really the most complicated part with the most variants. Uh, of course, most many variants have their own weird rules as well. Uh, different unit types, different unit strengths, and so on. Uh, and some of those rules have been implemented, and some not. We try to sort of balance it a bit, because new rules, we need to be super careful so that they don't uh, create bugs in, in other variants or uh, existing games. Um, but but uh, yeah, it, it's sort of a, a tricky balance because we don't have the resources to do proper uh, integration testing and, and uh, pre-launch testing and so on. I mean, we're just a handful of people who do this on our spare time. So we are, we are quite uh, restrictive with implementing special variant rules. But, but variant maps, we have a lot of them. And people seem to enjoy doing them and building them. I, I know that we have at least two, I think, more variants in the pipeline. Uh, community members on Discord are discussing uh, how to implement them and sending uh, examples and getting feedback. So it's, uh, it's quite interesting. People really love to create variants. Um, yeah, you're, you're talking to uh, um, two prolific variant creators um, right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I um, uh, actually one of the one of the um, the hard uh, the, the hard walls that I've come out, up against again and again um, is around that idea it's, it, of there being only really two unit types that you can play with. Now, you can do different kind of tricks around that by having them behave in certain ways, but there's a hard... Um, there just seems to be a hard limit for two types available. Um, and it just really piqued my interest in that, you know, it, we, we, in your in your code base, um, is there a possibility to, to make a third type of unit, whether that's an aeroplane or a... A submarine or, or whatever it happens to be. I'm, I'm just interested. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the units are just a list of names in the variant. Um, the tricky bis business, I guess, is uh, when you create a variant, <laughs> typically we just say use the orders for classical. Uh, because they are quite complicated and, and uh, complete and uh, well-tested. But this also means that if we want to create a new unit that has different uh, order handling, 
then we would have to either build this into the classical order set, which we have done so far. But that has its own risks. Of course, we have we have uh, uh, the uh, DATC tests, so we can check uh, that uh, the, the adjudicator basically works according to the rules. Uh, and we have uh, a couple of thousand old droid games that we can check that they still adjudicate the same way. Um, but but it's still a bit scary to change the classical rules because all variants depend on them. Uh, and the other option would be to copy the classical rules to a new variant and then just uh, modify them a bit or somehow create a common class of rules that they both diverge from a bit. Um, so, so yeah, I think uh, creating new unit types is probably not a huge problem, um, but it is a kind of problem that we have avoided so far. Um, Another point is, I mean, remember when I talked to Chris Babcock about this back when he was taking over Droidipu, um, because I wanted to focus more on building the new platform, and he wanted uh, more diplomacy platforms in his sort of stable of service that uh, services that he maintained. Um, he said that uh, the variants of all his services were such a tiny, tiny part of the active games played um, that that uh, he didn't really recommend spending too much effort on it and and that's still sort of true uh, especially considering that duplicity is quite small i think we have like a few hundred active players uh, we have maybe a thousand uh, users on a 30-day basis but only two or three hundred who are actively playing right now uh, and th then uh, we should consider how, how many hours do we have to work to create new rule variants uh, and, and verifying that they both don't sort of introduce bugs in old games and that they work reasonably well in the, in the games where they should be turned on. So, so yeah, we're a bit scared of making too much work for ourselves, I think. Uh, but But... That aside, uh, new unit types probably wouldn't be a huge problem. I, I'm sorry if I if I have super long monologues here, but I want to give sort of fair and complete answers. I know that that that's absolutely that's fine. I, I was going to ask a little bit about the size of, of of the community and and hopefully you know um, getting the message out on podcasts like this, mm -hmm. etc., will make people aware of of that particular app and. Um, as as Kate has mentioned, and, and I totally agree, it's aesthetically it's a wonderful, wonderful interface, um, very intuitive, um, and having all those different options there with variants. If you want to go down that path or going down the classic path, I think is is great. Um, so, what are your plans to try to get the message out a little bit more uh, around uh, around the app? Fun. Uh, I don't. <clears throat> I don't really have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm building this because it's fun and because the people who are using it now seem to appreciate it. Uh, and then if it if it becomes bigger and more people start playing, that's great. But but uh, I don't really know how 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 I would go about to to 
uh, to advertise it or yeah, I don't know. Uh, this this pod is of course uh, one idea. I think it was Joran who talked to you guys, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, and he said that uh, this might be a good way to to make people aware of the new app and maybe try it out, maybe come with feedback and so on. So, yeah. Um, the other the other thing you, you touched on before around um, with the iOS and you know for for those who are on iPhones etc. currently need to access it via via the web browser. Do you see a, a future point where you may create a iOS version, or it's just not of of uh, importance to you at the moment? Um, we we so actually do want to do that, um, and we started looking into it. I started installing uh, the OS X. Uh, out of the Mac, uh, <coughs> what is called Xcode development environment to, to try and build an app. But I quickly realized that the relatively painless way that we built the Android app, which is just uh, a wrapper around the web page, uh, wouldn't work in iOS because uh, um, the iOS store doesn't allow that kind of apps. They don't like apps that are basically a wrapper around the web page. Um, you need to provide, uh, if I remember correctly, some kind of unique and uh, custom built extra value uh, for iOS in particular, if you want to sell it on their store or let people download it on their store. And then of course, I think you also need to pay uh, cash every year just to be allowed to upload apps to their store. And then the, the, the final problem is, of course, that uh, none of us who have been working on this so far have any experience with, with the Xcode or iOS apps. <clears throat> so we would have to learn from scratch, which would make it uh, quite cumbersome and uh, work intensive just, just to get something out there. So yeah. we 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 want to, but but uh, right now there are so many problems that we don't really know when that would happen. Okay, no, that's that's cool. Um, so I mean, you, you talked on like the cost, for example, of getting that onto uh, the iOS platform, and I'm, I'm assuming at the moment you're you said before this is a, this is a bit of a labor of love. This is something that you do in your own spare time. So. I assume that you're currently meeting the the costs and everything of, of running the server and your physical time to develop all this, and is that that's the case? Yes, um, I have a private limited company <coughs> that I used to run as my my uh, uh, main contracting company. Uh, nowadays, I only have a few license deals with old customers that bring in a bit of money that I. Instead of uh, letting them waste with taxes, I pipe them into uh, service, uh, server and uh, storage and network costs for for, for duplicity. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, it, so, it, so the duplicity community wins out where the the Swiss government loses. 
Yeah, in this in this case, it's a Swedish company, so it's a Swedish. Oh, it's a Swedish company. company. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you you you're Swedish, but you're living in Switzerland. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Well, just as a question, what what brought you to to Switzerland? So uh, uh, we wanted a bit of adventure. Uh, I wanted uh, to try out living in another country for a few years, see what it was like. And I've always liked <clears throat> Switzerland, both because of the the different kind of uh, democracy they have, and because of the mountains and the nature. So when I got an opportunity to to move here with work uh, and bring the family, I figured that it it won't become easier when the kids grow older. So so why not take the chance now? And uh, here we are. It's interesting. Um... You touched on before that you've you've played a little bit of face to face diplomacy. Have you played diplomacy in Sweden and in Switzerland? And I'm interested if you have how things are different at all with the way that people play the game. I have only played it in Sweden. Um, ah, okay. Face to face, that is. Um, have you attended any tournaments or anything like that? Like I think last year there was the the um, World Diplomacy Championship in in uh, in France. Um, have you done anything like that at all? No, I haven't. Um, there is a Swedish uh, diplomacy emailing list called Stabbers, uh, who found uh, Droidipi uh, when it was still quite new, and they talked me into adding a few features that they wanted uh, because it would more uh, uh, competition I don't know, similar to competition play uh, and then I played a few games face to face with them and got more <laughs> round thoroughly thrashed than I've ever been in any diplomacy game uh, they are a great gang uh, and, and they used to go to, to uh, different tournaments and uh, competitions uh, I saw at least on the email list uh, so, so knowing what what kind of players were in the tournaments, I wisely selected not to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so you you played in Sweden. So, what what is the the Swedish environment like there? Um, um, how do you mean? When it comes to um, diplomacy and the way that they play, I mean, you probably haven't got much. Um, I mean, comparing that to if when you're playing online yourself within, say, Duplicity or anything, are you, do you see any differences in the way people play compared to just more globally? I think it, in my limited experience, how people play depends more on how experienced they are than where they come from. The Swedish players I've played with, if they were friends of mine that I introduced, they played like beginner duplicity players, <clears throat> you know, naive, trusting, uh, really upset when you stab them. If they are experienced and, and uh, have played a lot and are, are skilled players, instead they'll see you the same way. <laughs> they'll yep. sort of uh, uh, manipulate you and stab you when, when it hurts the most. And laugh at you when you complain. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, sorry, you go, Kana. I, I was just, I was just thinking around um, tournament play and playing face to face. At the moment, there's only really backstabber um, that 
has the ability to really sandbox a game live. Um, I, I was wondering if Duplicity what, what, has... What, what do you mean by sandbox it live? Oh, it, it so, for instance, um, someone can make a game and be the owner of that game, and as other players are playing that match... They have they can move the pieces around the board and have the um, have the program itself do the adjudication as it goes along. Um, a lot of tournaments are kind of using duplicity for their record keeping of how games are. I mean backstabber. Yeah, backstabber. Yeah. Um, so I, I was wondering if maybe there is there isn't yet, but if there's potential opportunity <laughs> to do that in duplicity um, as a as a you know like a um, as an alternative or another way of offering um, players to to do that in a real world face to face game. If you play face to face real world, so you don't actually need any network connectivity. You just want it sort of to, to keep track of units and show a map on a screen. Then oh, there is yeah, a... yeah. So, sorry, and, yeah, and that, to... then there is. Sorry, no, no. I'll, I'll let you go. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. Yeah. Then, then, uh, yes. Uh, there's a sandbox mode <clears throat> that you can turn on, uh, which lets you edit units uh, and supply centers, uh, and lets you play as any any country on the map and and give orders. And then you can <clears throat> adjudicate the orders, and you can uh, share this as a short link and send to your allies or other people. And of course, you can download the map if you just want to print it. Uh, um, but if you if you mean like having people join online in a game, and then be like a game master in the game, and be able to edit the game live and control when it resolves and and uh, control the adjudication, then no. That uh, we don't have that. But but we have the sort of face to face. Uh, mode in in the shape of the sandbox where you can uh, uh, just use it as as a sort of a helper for adjudication or for making plans. Yeah, I was definitely talking about the former there, and and yes, it does. So, um, although the second sounds interesting, um, yeah, no, but it was definitely the um, the first one. That's cool. Um, I think I think uh, uh, most apps have something like that. <clears throat> I know that uh, um, Conspiracy, was, which is also an Android app, has a similar uh, functionality, I think. And you say that Backstabber have it, has it. And I also think uh, uh, some of the other sites have it. Uh, at least when, I, when we talked about it on the, on the Discord chat where we coordinate, where the community hangs out, uh, I, I remember people mentioning that a lot of other services also had this uh, sandbox mode. You you touched on on um, conspiracy. How do you see Duplicity different to conspiracy as an app? I don't know enough about Duplicity. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, I, I mean I don't know enough about conspiracy. Sorry. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, Back when conspiracy was new, uh, I think uh, I had a more advanced uh, rating system, maybe, and maybe more variants, but the user interface was worse. Maybe the reliability system was better. It was 
small small things like that. Uh, nowadays, our user interface is, in my opinion, uh, top class. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say that our user interface is worse. But I don't, on the other hand, I don't really know how how conspiracy has evolved. Um, um, I am pretty sure that our scoring and rating system is is uh, uniquely good right now. We are using the tribute scoring system, which, if I understand the, the the math behind it correctly, is sort of uniquely tuned to to reward the things that make a diplomacy game fun. Uh, and we're using true skill to rank the players, and true skill is, I think, also uniquely good at at uh, correctly approximating player skill. So <clears throat> I think in those ways, we are pretty uniquely good. Then the, the reliability system that I introduced in Droidipi, I think it was unique at the time. But nowadays, I think that a lot of uh, other applications and services has something that is quite similar. Uh, I know that some also have very different systems where uh, I don't remember the names of the services, but where you uh, you like spend some kind of points that you make just to join the game. And if you if you uh, NMR in the game, you lose those points. Things like that. So there are different variants. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that when it comes to s- some uh, some features, we are uniquely good in duplicity. But but I know too little about the competition to make a fair judgment. No, that's fine. Uh, I, I remember Kana as a, as an Android user, and oh, it must have been a couple of years ago that he kind of showed me conspiracy. And uh, at the time, I thought, wow, this is really good. But but he pointed out that there seemed to be a lot of people who would join a game. And whether they didn't understand the nature of the game, you know, that, you know, it's a turn-based thing and you needed to kind of keep coming back every, you know, um, 24 hours or whatever happens to be the, the, the phase cycle. And you'd get a lot of um, players effectively going to civil disorder so that maybe in a game of seven people, only two people who are there seem to be regular, you know, people who actually turn up and, and um, continue to play the game. Uh, have you had... Uh, do you have a bit of an idea of, of how players are interacting at the moment with Diplicity and whether they're more committed as opposed to some of these players who will come in, they'll go, wow, this looks great, join, but then kind of forget to follow up? Maybe the notification system you talked about might help with that. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm pretty sure that Conspiracy has a similar notification system, so that's probably not a big difference. But but the problem you mentioned is, is I think it's universal uh, the moment you try to make a diplomacy game big, um, I noticed <clears throat> that I got a lot of really bad reviews on Android for Droidipi from people who who joined us and this game is boring. It doesn't even have uh, moving graphics. So I I started trying <laughs> to scare these people off in the in the game description in the Play Store, like the the first. The first line I, I wrote in the description was uh, capital letters. If you don't like the diplomacy board game, you won't like this game. Uh, so I think I scared off a lot of people that, that wouldn't appreciate it and that didn't understand it. Uh, so, so I think I sacrificed size for, for uh, in some sense, quality. 
of course, that wasn't enough. I also had the reliability system where uh, the old Droid app only had two two game queues, uh, one which was open for anyone, uh, and one which only was open for uh, reliable players. And reliability was defined as number of uh, faces where you have submitted orders on time uh, divided by number of faces where you haven't. Uh, and so if you if you didn't cause civil disorder more than at least, at, at most, one of 10 turns, then you were able to join the reliable queue. And that was the solution in, in Droidipu. And, and the, in, in Duplicity, we still have the reliability system, but we don't have game queues. Instead, uh, the players create games on their own. And then uh, we have... Uh, tiny and naive piece of math that tries to predict how long the game will take to fill. And then it, it shows all the open games created by players in, in the order of, of uh, the ones predicted to start the soonest will show at the top. Uh, so, so if you be, create a really weird game that probably nobody wants to play, then it will likely be at the bottom of the list and not disturb the majority of the players. Uh, but but the idea is the same. Uh, if you don't have enough reliability to join a game, you won't even see it in the list. And if, if you have, have reliability and you open and, and uh, uh, consider joining a game with low reliability, or actually no reliability requirements at all, then you will even see a warning about you should join a better game because this game has no reliability requirements and will probably contain absent players. Oh, I think that's really great that you've had that um i suppose that filtering system there so that you do maintain uh the quality of the experience for those who are more reliable so i think that's a that's a really great um a great aspect of, of what you offer in the app so um, i'm mind, i'm mindful of the time also man so what's the best way for people to experience the duplicity app to go to duplicity.com and uh, try it out. <laughs> you don't even have to install anything. Just go to duplicity.com and try it. And I'm sure it's also available in you know various um, Android app stores as well, correct? Yeah, in the, in the main Google Play Store, you can also find Duplicity. Um, and <clears throat> if you have an Android phone, that's, uh, I think, a slightly more convenient packaging because mm-hmm. uh, the login and the notifications are a bit uh, nicer. But it's the same app. Cool. Um, well, I mean, thank you very much for your time, Martin. I've, uh, I've I've learned a lot. I'm hoping that Kana has, particularly being an actual Android player. Um, you got anything else to say, Kana, before we wrap up? No, just thank you very much for spending some time and talking to us, Martin. It definitely, um, you know, I've definitely learned a lot from this interview. So, I've, I've um, yeah, just just thank you. Thank you for. Uh for being interested in this project and for interviewing me. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Martin. Cheers. An hour on your side, five minutes on ours. Five seconds, more like five seconds. (laughs) That was good. So have you, you've now downloaded it and been playing Duplicity for a bit? I have actually got an ongoing game. Oh, right, okay. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. It's got a similar 
as I say, like it's a similar, like the movement graphics are similar to um, Backstabber, so I'm kind of familiar with how that works. Like it's got that curved support line. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To sort of show what direction that support's going. Yep. Um, so I thought that's really cool. Um, I'm, the other thing I noticed is there's a, like a confirmation period. You have to, if the game's about to start, it says, it sends a notice saying, Oh, okay. Are you aware that this game's about to start? Are you ready for it to start? Yep. And everyone has to say yes, otherwise it says, game is not starting boots the people who haven't responded to that and stays open for more people who want to join it. Okay. So it saves on that um, early civil disorder problem yep. that a lot of websites have. So I like that. Um, I think my only criticism at this stage, you know, I like, I like how it um, shades the territories that you've got. Yep. Um, like you actually have movement options for mm-hmm. it's a nice subtle thing but the the shading of the territories it doesn't shade all the territories it shades the territories where you have supply centers right but it doesn't shade the territories that don't have supply centers okay that's like not a uh, unsurmountable problem but that's a that's a good user experience suggestion for how that can be improved and I would tend to agree with you. I think yes, I mean that those non supply centre territories don't really matter. You don't really have to colour them, but I think visually it's more more reflective of reality, isn't it? Does it start that same way? Like when the game begins, do non supply centre territories that would notionally be considered part of that area, so I'll give you an example. Ruhr, if we're talking Germany or you know, yeah, Berg- Picardy or Burgundy, Burgundy, do they start off as blank or they start off as No, they start off as blank. Okay. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. No, no. You know, it's, 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 it's quite an easy app to navigate in the sense of, you know, you want to move, it's all kind of interactive, you, you click on your unit, it gives you a selection of options to do oh, move support clear um, cancel yep you know and then you can select you know what you want to support by clicking where to where and it, it sort of does that for you which is kind of nice okay so it's um it's a fairly intuitive um map navigation okay um and and i think we said it on on the interview, like the maps themselves are quite beautiful. They're, they're, yeah, yeah, I can know, see that. Nicely coloured and shaded. That that soft sepia colour with you know the blues and the ever so slight pink. So you're um, playing what variant at the moment? Um, I've got a game. I've got the Vietnam. Oh, I thought on. you'd go that one. Oh, if I was yep. if I was playing Diplicity, that's probably the one I would have started with too. You can't fault it. Like it's an interesting variant. Yeah. Hmm. I've got another one in. Um, What's the name of your game? Is it is it anonymous or whatever? Um, it's it's an anonymous gunboat game, but there's lots of them. Yep. Um, and I just need to confirm my orders there. So it's Laos, North Vietnam, South Vietnam, Thailand, and Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Playing this. Um, got another game that's forming um, 
which is a chaos game, and I've got a 2020 that's forming as well. So we, t- we talked so. about 2020 before in, in the interview, so 2021 was just a um, world map, wasn't it? Set in the present year? 2020, yeah. yeah. Um, it's got some interesting canal-like features. Okay. Um, it's oh. kind of odd that you've got this blobby bit where Spain hits Morocco. Oh, um, that oh so in other words, where the... Um, the Straits of Gibraltar are effectively a canal between. Oh, sorry, visually it joins together Morocco to the. Uh, sorry, the northern aspects of Morocco to the southern aspects of Spain, turning the Mediterranean Sea truly into an inland sea. Is the uh, Balearic, Ionian, and Eastern Med? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Well, uh, then the Ionian split off from the Balearic Sea. You know, like Naples other... sort of connects up to Tripoli via land, but there's a canal between the Ionian and Bellarus. Yeah, so, so effectively there's a uh, Sicily and Naples are joined together and the gap between Sicily and um, what would be Tunisia in a standard map is um, a canal. Very interesting. Yeah. As well as standard canals, obviously canal rules in uh, uh, Istanbul or slash Constantinople. And then it's Istanbul and Constantinople and there's also land bridges around the place, so Yemen to Ethiopia, uh-huh. um, Darwin to Indonesia. Wow. Well, I suppose that's how yeah. our indigenous Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islander people came here, so it makes perfect sense. Hmm. So I'm interested to see how this one plays. Very good. Hmm. So it sounds intuitive. Sounds like it has been reasonably fast to get people to join the games. Well, that was a 20-player game, that 2020. Okay. Um, and it's getting it's 19 players joined up already. So. And when did you start? Two or three days ago. Well, that's pretty good. Pretty quick, yeah. Were you the beginning or midway or? Oh, I joined up, but there was only about two or three players on it. Okay, that's 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 really good. And what is your what were your thoughts on that whole process then of having people confirm? Yep, we're ready to play. I think it's good. Like there was a chaos game which start, that would have started. Um, that confirmation came through. Yep. And literally half the people didn't respond to that. So what happens then? They get booted. Yeah, they get booted. And then new and the fresh players can come in. Stays open until fresh players come on. Who all? So the game doesn't start. Correct. Okay. I think that's a good idea. And on the. Sorry, just, you know, Discord channel. Signed up to their little... Oh, so... Do you what's... Right. It seems to be very, um, like a, you know, quite happening forum. You know, I didn't know you've been on. using Discord. Yeah, I'm not... I'm, not I, 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 I'm still getting used to how it all works. Oh. Is that us? Is that us? I don't know. Ambie's just discovering that there's another podcast. No, what's that thing? Is that even diplomacy related? Well, it's on the um, podcast bit on... Who knows? Who knows indeed. I'm sure we'll find out more about it later. Oh, I did chase that up. I had a look. I had a look at this this mob. Quite the Nexus, No. 
No, 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 no. This is about the Boston Massacre diplomacy tournament. Yeah. So that was the one I played in. Yeah, and Humble the Heap was in it. Oh, did he play too? Well, he had he was talking in there and there's a few others. Are you sure he, sure he wasn't... Wasn't he one of the... Um, I think he may have been one of the commentators, wasn't he, for the Diplomacy Broadcasting Network, maybe? Was he? Oh, he could well have been. I know, we're sick. Fuck, I know. The diplomat, right? Okay. DiplomacyNexus.com. Okay. Discussion about virtual Boston massacre and Umbrella Heap. This is kind of prep. This is oh. this is foreshadowing our next podcast episode. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, we'll get to that soon. Yeah. Um, Skip through well, that anyway. In two weeks' time for you guys. How did you find the interview with Mark? I thought it was good. I thought. Um, I think it's. <laughs> I found it interesting when you consider that it's, it's a, a true labour of love. The amount of time that he has spent on it over the years. But then when you reflect on that, I mean, we've been doing this shit now for the podcast, our podcast, for four years. Yeah, pretty much as a labour of love. We still find shit to talk about. We do find shit to talk about. Actually, I think we find more shit to talk about <laughs> as time goes by. But um, I think that was really, really encouraging. And I think that shows, again, how much the community, um, I suppose, fosters that giving back. And not everybody um, creatively gives something back, and nor do they have to. But I think there's a good balance out there at the moment. It doesn't really matter what you're into. There's different ways of finding out more around the game and strategies and what people are thinking and doing and well, okay so four years ago there was probably a lot of disconnected islands out there islands in the stream yeah like you had you had your web diplomacy your play diplomacy a bit of v-dip backstab was being used a little bit there wasn't really a lot of you know and there was like the odd ta- the tournaments are going on yep. yeah but now we've got you know a weekly pod a weekly newsletter from Humble the Heat. We've got brother boards smashing out massive, like massive amount of literature. Yep. Um, you've got the diplomacy archives back up and running. Not to mention our like our um, zines which never stopped. Um, you've got players coming together online for face to face tournaments. There's the live streaming There's of those things with the commentary from the Diplomacy um, Broadcast Network. Yep. Um, you've got well, we just found another podcast yep. going on um, you got Chris Martin smashing out some videos yep. um, it's, 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 it seems like there's more stuff happening here just, just just off the top of my head I'm sure there's things that I've missed no I think I think I think you're right I think it's I think it's great I think it's um, personally I think it's better for there to be more stuff than less stuff because more stuff indicates a vibrant community agree Yep, I absolutely agree. Oh, not to mention the stuff happening out of Minnesota, Minneapolis, which is oh yeah, the state is that Minnesota? No, it's Minneapolis is Minneapolis. the city. Minnesota, oh, Minnesota is the state. state. Yep. Yeah. All that stuff happening from out there. Well, it's not just there; it's just every. There's lots of pockets everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well done, everybody who is making things happen in the diplomacy scene. And Martin especially, thank you for your interview. Yes, thank you very much, Martin. Um, lots of fun. Uh, I'm not going to go up and buy myself an Android phone yet. But 
It's good to know that it can still be used on other platforms, or like other iOSs and yes, laptops and shit like that. Oh, and I did check it out. It does have a sandbox mode, absolutely. Oh, yeah, because um, you asked him about that. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking because it's a nicer looking map, I might use that for the next face-to-face game we play. Ah. So talking face-to-face games, I actually gave um, Vault Games a phone call today because of the uh, lifting of the COVID conditions today. Oh, yeah? Those guys' pieces over there are surprisingly good. I'm smelling. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> the um, I was a little bit disappointed, to be honest. Oh. So they kind of said, okay, well, at the moment, the way things work is... Um, we open at 10 o'clock in the morning and 15 minutes beforehand you can ring up and book a table for that day. For the for, day. Yeah, right. And like... Or when you're ready, or alternatively, just walk on in and if we've got a table, you can play. So that's not going to work for a game of diplomacy where you no. kind of expect yeah, six other to... people to kind of come in from goodness knows where else in the city yeah. for maybe... Who knows? You really need to lock down a date and a time, otherwise it doesn't happen. Mm. Mm. So I don't know whether whether we need to start thinking about other options, such as you know, literally go to a pub, set up a board. I did that in Thailand. Yeah. Yep. How'd that work? Everyone got shit faced. I think we got to all 1902. <laughs> so everyone was shit faced by 1902. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking playing diplomacy with bar flies and these. Tropical Thailand. Who was that? Chiang Mai or where was it? Con Ken. Con? Con Ken. Con Ken. Is that near Chiang Mai? No. Chiang Mai is in the northwest. Yeah. Where's Con Ken? Con Ken's smack bang in the middle of the northeast. Isan. Ah. Yeah, so they go northeast. There's fuck all up there. It's a flat desolate part of the world. It's a plateau. Um, But it's also the most poverty riven part of Thailand. And there's tourists. Well, it doesn't exactly sound very appealing, so that's probably why there's less tourists. Yeah. Except for, for, you know, you with your Thai barflies, or were they expat barflies? Expats. Um, but I did have the... Yeah, it was like this... Close to the Mekong River. You know, that was nice. I've been on the Mekong, but more down in um, uh, Cambodia. Yeah. Oh, Cambodia, and also in... Um, Vietnam. I haven't done Vietnam. Uh, Down did. near the Delta. Yeah, no, I've done the river in Laos, Thailand, and um, Cambodia. Sorry about the siren, folks. Please pause for a second. Yeah. And we're back. We're back. <laughs> Yeah, so um, actually one thing associated with that is with the uh, the WDC. So I um, I haven't yet reached out to the uh, coordinator for this year's WDC in um, for Carnage in November. Yeah. I don't know because the thing is everything in the US just seems to be so fluid in these areas. Like some states still seem to be taking the whole COVID thing pretty seriously. Others are like, nah, it's okay. Should be taking it seriously. And should probably maybe be taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't know if it's going to still happen or not. I, I was going to go over there this year, um, visit my daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, daughter-in-law. Sister, the sister of my wife's daughter. Sister. So my wife's yeah. sister's daughter. It's my daughter. <laughs> oh, isn't that your niece? My niece. <laughs> <laughs> We've only got through one pint. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's probably why I still at least was able to come up with an answer. Yeah, I finished mine. Um, <laughs> Here we are. It's like uh, <laughs> about an inch is the difference between knowing what a niece is and not. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was going to go over there to visit my niece. Um, How old is your niece? So uh, not yet a year. Okay. So she probably won't remember you. The fact you didn't turn up. So it's okay. Yeah. Well, that side of things is fine. Yeah. You that's know. right. Um, but given the but whole... she won't understand you anyway I mean, with your Australian we... accent. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you'd be amazed how many Americans don't. <laughs> I was, I was in a, I was in a supermarket in America, going through the, and there's like, and, and on the display counter, there's there's some interesting objects. Yeah, there. this is in Arizona, and I asked if I could see one of those. Chains. It's like one of these small. What was it? It's like a bracelet. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I see the bracelet, and she looks at me and goes, "You what?" I said, uh, "Can I please have a look at the bracelet?" She says, "I have no idea what you're saying." <laughs> and then, and then Mrs. Kana says, "Can I have a look at the bracelet?" <laughs> she goes, yeah, sure, oh, sure, yeah, sure, love. <laughs> How did you not, anyway? I thought for a second, though, maybe Americans call bracelets something else. Yeah, mate, but they don't do flat whites over there. Well, not many people do flat whites. Flat whites were invented, I think, in New Zealand or Australia. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. You can get them now in the UK. Well, I'm going to say now. I got them when I was asked over there probably about, well, a few years ago. But I don't think, I don't think flat whites have made it to America yet. Yeah, which is surprising. So I think other birds have. Have they? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, great Australian export. Um, for those listeners overseas who are like, what's a flat white? Well, flat white's a coffee. Um, think um, latte without the foam. Is that the difference? Yeah. It tastes so much better, though. They do? Yeah. Yeah. Because you're getting what you want, not the foam. Like, Although, what, what I must admit, I've kind of got to, I don't have milk very often now, so when I have a flat white, it kind of upsets my stomach because I think maybe I'm lactose intolerant without even knowing it. Maybe just get used to no milk because I've had like long blacks all the time. Well, I do eat. I do eat a little bit of cheese. Cheese, cheese. Yeah, I do yeah. eat cheese. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant like cheese in your coffee. I thought, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you're a strange man, Mister Kana. <laughs> no, um, but apart from that, it's just my. Oh, I love cheese. Yeah, my flat white. It's the other dairy sauce. I don't have. I don't actually drink. I don't have dairy in my diet apart from a bit of cheese and my flat one. That was a diversion. That's alright, it's all good. <laughs> hey, I noticed, might I say. But do we need another beer, by the way? Well, first you have to explain to me how this thread on VDIP, this winning thread, you've ignored it for how many years? Nine years. Nine years. And now you are the most prolific 
poster. I am not the most prolific poster, thank you very much. Well, you, between you, Ubicacia, Gopher, and, and Argentinian, Empire. Argentinian Empire, maybe King of Swords. Yeah, I think Easy pickings. Well, like, like it's, it's you four or five. <laughs> like, what? Well, you know, we're, we're starting to get competitive. We're starting to get towards the end game now, mm. and, you know, everyone wants to win. You're six. <laughs> So, so this is Although I must admit, I've been stupid enough occasionally to um, bump myself out of the winning position by posting. <laughs> yeah, so this is one of the... the, the I think I'm currently winning. Yeah, I am winning. You are currently winning, yep. Um, it's one of those forum games which has been going on for quite a while, which the third to last person who posts wins. Someone's fire alarm's going off. <laughs> it's finished now. Um, which basically guarantees it will never end. Yeah, but you said that I only joined because you said it was going to the the whole forum area was going to move to a new system. Yeah, the writing's on the wall. Yeah, yeah, Holly's, yeah. So Holly's I thought I'd better join in, give them a chance to actually win. Yeah, it's, it's like roulette at the moment. Yeah, but I don't. I, honestly, I don't think it's going to change. I think. Thank you, Tom. I don't think it's going to change. So I think that's just a ploy of yours to get me to waste time adding thread things to that forum post. No, it is. Like, Ollie posted a thread about it on the mod forum. Oh, did he? Yeah. I only look at the mod forum with about things that I post. No, yeah, yeah. so he's, he's literally going to move it into the into a different format. Oh, how, how far away? Can I time this right for my so I can win? Uh, no. no. Uh, he doesn't say when he's going to do it. Ollie usually has times on the weekend. Europe time. That's good to know, isn't it? Talking the uh, the mod forum, I did get in touch with Toby, oh, as yeah? you recommended. Yes. And um, this is for my variant creation stuff. He was he kind of acknowledged that he's a bit busy at the moment too, which is cool. I understand that. And then all of a sudden he started helping out with all the whole of the things. And then he went then when it went dark again. So, well, yeah. I, need, I need to get back in touch with him. So, um, where to get to? So, at the moment, the this is the plague variant. Yeah. So, two, so two things. So now I'm back at work. So I haven't got massive amounts of time. In fact, I don't have much time at all. But I did have a little bit of time when I was on holidays, yep. and um, I got the the code that was needed for the, the standing neutrals. I think technically working, so I've now asked for. Actually, I don't know how it's going to work. I think that'd be a pretty easy. Toby thing. was going to get in touch with. I've asked Toby to get in touch with Ollie around giving me access to the dev area, so that that could be created and tested. That was pretty straightforward. And um, for the Black Death one, yeah. Oh. So what option did you end up going? With? What's this one? Your Black Death. Oh, that's about the post forum thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think pretty much similar to what you suggested, because he actually said he thinks he can make it work. Oh, oh brilliant. So, yet yeah, to a certain extent. So, you were talking also about some historical aspects of that, starting in the Middle East slash Mediterranean and then progressively moving in a historical path. We can roughly start at sort of Genoa to like Crimea. Yeah, but we're not doing that. We're going to, we, well, I think we're doing with the random thing. 
but the aspect that you recommended that um, Toby thinks can be done is the idea of it moving and at the end of uh, when we get to the build phase creating the 50% thing of it spawning and splitting off Ooh, exciting yeah. um, but he was talking about because of the way obviously you can't you think about it you can only create a unit and you can only in one in a supply centre and you can only have one unit in a supply centre at any point of time so you can't actually split so what he was talking about was similar to what you had suggested strangely enough about actually having almost like a um, as the plague moves along instead of having a, a supply centre that had previously taken over becoming instantly available to be taken over by a player after the, the um, plague has gone through yeah. that there's a, a, a almost like a like a half-life type of thing that occurs uh-huh. with, with regards to an ability for people to go in there that's the thing what he kind of said basically but it would mean that you can actually have spawning of plagues in a location that had previously gone through and then that would go off into other locations but you could take over it like with like your plague doctors you should change the, the unit icons like plague doctors and well we, you've only got a certain limited number of, of sorry, like player types yeah. sorry game units you can use yeah there's only two. Oh, no. But your armies could be like... Unless you talk to Martin at Duplicity when you ask him the question, he goes, oh, yeah, that's possible. Add three or more. Sure. Yeah, but he's not going to add 29. Or 49 or no, no. So that got me excited. What did? Martin talking about different unit types. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was saying that, it got me thinking about, okay, well, you can have, as you said... You know, um, like the uh, disillusion variant, you could for the first time have armies, fleets, and you know, I think that's got air wings, but you could have an air force. Yes. And it got me thinking instantly around that um, nuclear diplomacy variant that I always wanted to create, <laughs> which would have nuclear weapons as an actual additional unit. Move it to anywhere on the board, everything around it dies. Yes, but then that was similar to the idea of the um, the Black Death thing, but it's a a perpetual um, call that thing nuclear winter element. So once you nuke an area, a supply centre, no one can go back into the supply centre and effectively it's radioactive. It's radioactive. That's correct. So no one can take it over, and after a certain period of time, if too many people are nuking each other. The person who hasn't nuked with only one supply centre wins. Well, no, nobody wins. You get to a point that, you know, basically there's just so much radiation that everyone is considered to lose. The the person who owns Norway and Sweden wins because they've got two supply centres. Everyone else has got one because they've all bumped each other. I don't know. Actually, that's a really good point. If we were ever to do that, could you get to a point that whoever's just got one or two supply centres is enough to win the game? I haven't thought about that. That's like, like, like a that's decreasing an amount of supply centres that you need to win. Like you start off with 18 supply centres. There's a nuke goes off in Moscow. Okay, 17 supply centres. London goes off. 16 supply centres. Okay, so let me give you an example. So, um, so it's played on. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before, ages ago. So I played on a world map. Let's say you're America, and you decide to build instead of building conventional units, you build nuclear units. Uh-huh. And you launch a first strike. Yep. Okay. The idea behind the nuclear diplomacy is 
you launch, you can only launch, I think, in your first strike in spring. And the nuclear weapons. Okay, sports. <laughs> okay, <laughs> have so, to think about it. I need to go to the toilet. I'll get another round. Okay, yeah, sure. Well, actually, I'm going to get another round. Yeah, you get the next one. Okay, sure. Pause. Cheers. I think it's recording. Yes, it's doing, yeah. Thank Cheers. You. Okay, so I've just gone and um, grabbed some more beers, and Ambie's going to talk coherently about nuclear diplomacy. Oh, am I? Why start now? <laughs> That's the whole point. <laughs> okay, so um, the concept behind nuclear diplomacy, because I don't, I mean, if you're, if you're new to the show and you haven't listened to the episode, I can't remember when I talked about it. Zonks ago. A couple of years? Yeah, zonks and zonks and yonks ago. Yep. I thought it was a better concept than your ninja samurai. Oh, Ninja vs. Samurai is quite a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> That's when they got yeah the water walkers and yeah bamboo flyers and all that. Yeah. Maybe maybe you're right. So even if you kind of worked on the basis of just having two units, two unit types. Yeah. And I would like a third unit type. I think two unit type is going to have to happen, where you have effectively instead of like armies and fleets, you have conventional units. Like armies and armies. Well, like armies that can go in the water. So amphibious. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, but I guess the issue would be you couldn't really convoy. Anyway, the reason I say that is so that just amphibious units. If you're limited by the game engine to have only two types of units, a conventional unit like a normal army fleet but it happens to be combined together you know what I mean yeah which can take over a supply centre and occupy a supply centre so it goes towards your school okay like your normal builds yeah then you've also got but when you decide to build things you can decide to build conventional units or nuclear units so nuclear missiles okay and those nuclear missiles as we were saying just before the uh, the break Generally speaking, ideally, and there had been some talk that you could do it any time during the game, but that you would, most players would launch them in, say, spring. And I know normally uh, an intercontinental ballistic missile takes, what, about half an hour to an hour to get from, you know, North America to the Soviet Union or somewhere. Yeah, but say but, but as far as as far as the, uh, the game is concerned, it takes six months to get there. <laughs> Well, longer actually. Well, you could change the time scale of the map, couldn't you? Like, well, you could, I don't know. Change the clock to like, days. Maybe, maybe. Maybe that's a good idea. Day one, day two, day, day. But just, just, just so that listeners can understand, assume that you launch the missile in spring, it doesn't actually get directly to a location until fall. So. Let's say you've got a, a, um, a nuclear missile you decide to build in Boston. Yeah, so what you're essentially saying is there's a delay of a turn before it activates. Yes. Spring moves, so spring... it ends up there in autumn, no, no, yeah. and so then detonates at the end of autumn. Correct. Yeah. So in other words, you so set you your launch order. it in autumn. It wouldn't it get there somewhere in spring. spring yeah. It detonates in spring, so it gives that person a chance to retaliate. Yeah, so in other words, yeah. it's like you can... Okay, let's say I'm America... You're Russia. We haven't been getting on. We've been fighting it out within, you know, conventional forces or whatever. I've decided for one reason or another I'm going to start 
creating nuclear weapons. Right. You see me launch them into the stratosphere effectively in spring. Yeah. Neither you or any other players actually know where they're going. Oh, so okay, you have to of like your kind of like the Mars bearing that I did, where you have like spaceports. Yeah, you have to move it exactly. into space and then down. Exactly, correct. Yeah. Very gotcha. good. Got gotcha. you. I like that. Very, very clever. So, um, yeah, that, you could do that with just some clever use of coastlines. Well, actually, you're right. What you've got to do is just basically create connections between the nuclear units only between the supply centres and the stratosphere. So you launch into spring into the stratosphere and then come autumn you choose where in the stratosphere you want to land. Where you land them. That being said, if I'm America and you're Russia and I've launched my nukes into the stratosphere in spring, you can see that the nukes have been launched. You don't know if they're going to hit you or not. But you choose at that point of time in fall to launch your nukes back at me. How many nukes can you have at a time? As many supply centres as you have, and you decide to build nuclear units instead of conventional units. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, It's on a world map. Yep. World War 4. Probably World War 4. Maybe with sea lanes. No, maybe not. I don't know. Okay, sea lanes. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. So what, there's 36 players on that, yeah? Yep. And the wind conditions are 128. No, no, 36 players on World War 4, but for this particular game, the only playing players are nuclear players. Actually, no. I think you can actually have non-nuclear players too. I can't remember. I have to go back and actually check what the rules were, whether non-nuclear players can actually build nukes or not. So I'll give you an example. Let's say there's a player called... Oh, actually, no. I was going to say European Good Union. Good if you get like a, like a, like a suitcase. Um, like your non-nuclear players can get a nuke, but it doesn't act like a nuclear ICBM. It acts like a... Like they can turn one of their amphibious players into like a, a little spy that can go and detonate. So, off the top of my head, I think the current nuclear powers in the world, which would be based on this, would be what? America, Russia... China, France, Britain, North Korea, Israel, India, Pakistan, India, Pakistan. South Africa. So I think South Africa had it during the apartheid regime unofficially, and they kind of unofficially then kind of decommissioned them with the new regime. But there, the question would be: Do you allow other players then to create nukes? I mean, let's be honest. If you were a player, let's say you're Germany, and you start the game with just conventional units, you've got enough bloody nuclear power stations that you could probably create nukes if you wanted. But anyway, the idea being, originally, if, um, as I said, if I launch, you don't know that they're coming to hit you or not. You decide to preemptively launch. But they have to land somewhere. Yes, but you don't know, but this is the issue. So the idea being, you could theoretically think, oh, America is attacking Russia, you're Russia, I'm going to attack America back. But in fact, I am not attacking you, you you don't know that. I've started a war with China, and I've actually had a first strike against China for one reason or another, and then you happen to then whack the hell out of me. Yeah, no, I I get that, 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 that's part of that whole, the time. Yeah. 
you know, process. You know, I, I get that bad. And I, I know, I know. Technically, um, this isn't the case. If you got NORAD, if you watched, you know, that wonderful. 1980 something, you know, Matthew Broderick film War Games. You know, you you know where the nukes are going to go based on their trajectory. But for this game, it's a suspension of disbelief. You don't know what their actual trajectories are. Once a missile is launched, does it have to land the next turn? Yes, you can't blow it up in the air. What if you bounce yourself with two nukes? I don't know. I haven't even. I, I hadn't thought of that. Great question. <laughs> oh, a bit more working out to do with this. Well, that's why I'm not starting with this one anyway. There's too much coding involved in this. Unlike those other games that I've been trying to do with the um, standing neutrals and with Black Death, they're based off existing code. Honestly, I'm surprised the standing neutrals hasn't started, like, hasn't been implemented yet. No, it's not mine. Yeah, but I'm surprised it hasn't always done that. I don't know. And actually, the thing I like about standing neutrals is that it's so... It's, it's accurate with reality. You know what I mean? In, um, in a game of diplomacy, spring 1901, if you're Austria-Hungary, you can take over, you know, Serbia like that real life it took the bloody Austrians three years to actually take control of Serbia because there was a standing neutral army there that in fact the Austrian army wasn't very good answer to any players um would it disadvantage any players well it depends on what you do like if you make some stupid moves like I think last time you ran you said you know England decides to build three armies. <laughs> that would disadvantage you. Well, just wait for the first time that happens. Um, would it advantage some countries over others? Like, okay. Russia. You basically need two units to get into a country, don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Or a supporting unit from another country. So it basically means that now France and Germany Russia can work together to get Belgians, unless England decides to support whole Belgium. Yeah, Russia's basically got Buckley's chance on the northern assault through Scandinavia. Why? Why? Because he's got a fleet in St Petersburg and another. No, 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 no. Remember. I'm implementing your your recommendation, Kana, which is it's a custom build start. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, uh, in which case, uh, you could move quite easily as Russia. You can build a um, you can build an army and go straight into Norway. Actually, no, you can't because because you, you, an army in Norway. You'd never be able to get into. Norway. You could build a fleet in. Okay, you can build an army, send it over to um, Finland. Or you could build a northern fleet, send it to Berens, move Moscow up to St. P, and just negotiate then with England on what you're going to do. I think it means that the gameplay would take a lot longer because it's going to be harder to take over neutrals as opposed to just waltzing on in. So using your example before... If I moved, you know, uh, if I built 
Northern Fleet Berwyn. Northern Fleet St. P went to Berwyn, Moscow to St. P. You're England, you move, even if you decide to move um, Edinburgh to Norwegian, uh, London to English Channel, and you did a bit of a Chris Martin there, you can just kind of sit there in the Norwegian Sea Support holding Norway and prevent Russia from taking Norway. Yes, yeah, right. It's going to disadvantage Russia's northern assault, which in turn is going to make some interesting power dynamics in that Russia's going to see that and go, OK, well, I'm either going to go all in on the Bundesprings or Turkey, or even an assault straight on Germany. Or, it's going to change the whole thing. That's right. But, I mean, you can flip it around the other way, you? because um, as Russia, you might go, OK, well, I'm going to... Uh, doesn't matter. Maybe I'm going to build a, a, an army or a fleet or whatever like that in St. Pete. And I'm going to hold Norway so that when England opens to North Sea in Norwegian, Norway still won't fall to him. And I'm going to concentrate my assault to the south or to the east, the west. Yeah. It changes the dynamic. Hmm. But I think in a more... Belgium won't fall very easy. Belgium never bloody falls easy. What are you talking about? Everyone's fucking arguing over Belgium. All right. Um, Italy's going to be disadvantaged. Well, no. If anything, England... Italy's got that thing that you talked about, which is like it can build fleet Naples, fleet Rome, Tyrrhenian Sea, Ionian Sea. you got Tunis in um, full 1901. Yeah, they have to. Alternatively, you could build all fleets. Probably not. No, you could. Uh, actually, that would make an interesting game. Italy, all fleets. Austria, all armies. That would make an interesting combo as an alliance. Yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking about even without standing neutrals. Yeah, even without standing neutrals, but with standing neutrals, you could essentially... I, I struggle to think of any more symbiotic relationships that you could build than that. Well, I'm sure there are. Uh, have you noticed it's getting a bit loud here now? Start to. Hey, do we wrap this up and move to the next? Maybe, although we've still got lots of beer. Let's Maybe talk we about can... one more thing. Right. What are we going to talk about? How you going with that Scottish game? Ambie. Oh, I think so. Last time around, we talked about the Western Quintuple game, but we actually said let's hold off on talking about the Scottish game until things have progressed a little bit. We did. And now it's a little bit. We can talk about it a bit. Well, do we talk about it on this one or the next episode? Well, by the next time. Someone, someone walking around the boombox. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Two boomboxes. Um, I don't know, I don't care. By that point in time, it's going to be out of date anyway. Let's do that fucking Scottish one next episode because yep. we'll be well out of date. And actually, if I, if, I, if I may pull up a game which I talked about a couple episodes ago. Which one? Sure, you go for it. Go Europa Renovatio. Oh, you're, um, um, state your business. What's your business? 
No. Done some business. Oh, lockdown renovatio. Yeah, that's the one. And I've actually managed to survive and kind of... Is this an anonymous game? It's an anonymous game, unfortunately, so I can't really talk to It's been a long while since we've talked about this, I've forgotten about it. The last time I showed you this, I was being attacked on all fronts. You were. And I've still got one bastard player who's just attacking me for no fucking reason when he could just be focusing his attention elsewhere. I just wanted to say that. Why? Why hold a grudge when you This bastard? No, this bastard. That bastard's attacking you too. Yeah, well, yeah. I deserve that, but... Oh, this bastard? Or that bastard? This guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a mongrel. Like, What's he got to gain? He's not attacking you. He's got you. nothing to gain he's against He's not attacking you. He's support holding himself. But he has been. He's just moved into this region here. In a, in a... Is that because his best match was this one? Look how open he is. Jeez, he is so open to being stabbed. I know, and... Fuck, if I had my pieces in the right spot, I would be attacking this guy. No doubt. Can't. This fella has just gone, you know, weird ass move to probably attack me, but he's. He's doing well. Well, no. No, he's no, not no. doing well. Okay. Old mate who's just moved into a position to attack me by looking like it's going to, you know. Well, yes, pretty much you've got all your supply centres open there, so. Exactly, uh, so that's why I see he's moved there. However, he's just been moved upon at the exact same time. Ah, so by that I dude. Yeah. By this dude, so I don't know if it's going to continue on in that push. Um, Although, I must admit, if I was old mate that's just turned up on your doorstep... You'd be tempted, wouldn't you? I'd be tempted because I'm thinking I'll need the other stuff over there in the, um, on, the other, lose, on the other side of the fleet, um, fleet theatre. Yeah. But then it then provokes then you to me. come and attack him. So I, I could do that, like sneak in and... Sneaky, you. sneaky. Yeah. Ooh. I've lost track of how many times I've transformed my units in this bloody game. Hey, so um, actually, one yeah. thing that, that, that's um, interesting that I've found in starting to um, look at... Actually, it's got a little bit quieter again. It's pretty good. See the guy stop playing music. Um, which is bad, but he's quieter than Anyway, so one thing I found interesting... Taking a break. Huh? He's taking a break. He's having a slash. So one thing that's interesting I found with this Europa Renovatio map... Do you mind if I... Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's playing again. So when you go to the actual map itself, remember how we've talked about how Denmark does so well? Yeah. What happened there? Keep going. Well, you know how we said Denmark tends to do very, very well? Yes. So I thought about it, and when I, I noticed this when I started doing the... Because I've started doing the map now for the um, Black Death variant. Oh, you yeah. have? Yeah, I've started tweaking with it, but I need to kind of talk to Toby more because the actual Europa Renovatio map, because there's so many territories looking at it, I think there's like about three different maps that are actually combined as one. It's weird. Yeah, so that's the same as World War Four and... Um, yeah, I've had a, I've, I've, yeah, I've worked on that. Before. So I think I think I've um, I think same I've, map when it's layers. Yeah, except I think I may have fucked up because uh, it's hard to talk about in a oral sense when it's a very visual medium. But they have um, let's use this coaster as thing. Have you got a pen? Huh? I do. 
dig it out. Okay, don't worry about digging it out. So just pretend, okay, so we've got a, a 4X dry coaster here. Imagine it's cut up into, there's like a, a, a line going, I'll make it easy, north to south. Okay, there we are, good. So basically within the Europa Renovatio map, again, I'll make it easy, north to south, this middle bit here, so there's three maps, and you know all these have got territories in them all over the spot, okay? Yeah, and you've got one that overlays it. And then you've got the colouring that happens to kind of work it out, okay? Yeah. But within the three that work, like the left-hand side over here, that's all coloured. But all this stuff here is all white, but with the lines still on it. Yeah. Then if I go to this map over here, that's all coloured, and all the other stuff is blank with the lines on it. Yeah. But I'm not sure how to make all that happen because I've started working on, say, this side here, which I've now got working right, with, but I've changed some of the borders. Yeah. But those borders are going to be the way they were in the old maps. Yeah. So I'm fucked. I'm going to have to start all over again. You're better off going back to a vanilla map, just the flat map, making all your changes, yep. and then layering it. Okay. Right? The reason they've got three layers there is that each layer can only take 256 different Colours. Colours. Yep. And there's more territories than that. So he's layered several flat maps on top of each other, like a pancake, and then yep. when it gets squashed down, it becomes flat for the icons to move around on top. Yeah. Right? So you're better off going to the flat map, making the changes that you want, and then grabbing those layers, like 250 of them, bring them up a layer to layer two and then grabbing a whole bunch of other layers and bring that up to layer three and then that will work. It's all very complicated, Kana. I did it with World War Four. If I managed it, you can manage it. Yeah, okay. Good point. Um, I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, so, but, you know, I've started changing because some of the territory... Sorry, some of the player boundaries are different 110 years prior to Europa Renovatio. Um, yeah, it's not an easy change. So you've got... Yeah, so for example, let's, let's look here. Within Europa Renovatio, you've got this, this area here, which is Sweden, which is quite big, which encompasses on a, uh, a classic board all of modern Finland, um, the vast majority of modern Sweden. But in, the, um, in this particular map, it's like this Lapland area is excluded and this is all unpassable and they've only got the bottom bit down here. Yeah. And then you've got this and then you've got that. that. Oh, okay. Right? Yep. How'd you do that? Oh, those the other ones? Yeah. Okay, got that. Right. What it does is, okay, so it's white's considered transparent. So it's not all done again. Oh! It's white to be transparent. Okay, that's different. I kind of, I hadn't actually checked that map. I thought there was going to be lines all over it. Nope, that sits on top of that and colours in all of those so except the black. Right. Okay, class, quick question. So that sits over that except the black and sits there right. over the rest of Europe. So what you've got to do, go back to your vanilla version, right? No, no, make but all your changes. Can, can I just use this map and then just make that for the other ones and just make all these white then? No. Oh, fuck. You're going to have to decolour it. 
make but it see, I made all these border changes with what's Russia and what's not Russia. And, uh, yeah, you see, you just turn it into a nightmare. No, you just fucking go back to the start, make your changes, and then do this process. Just Will you do it for in. me? Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, okay. I didn't you expect you to say yes. <laughs> you make the changes, send it to me, I'll do it. Okay, we'll see how we go. Um, um, I was just making a, uh, an ambit claim, so thank you very much. Are uh, you going to make any changes to the, to the sea lanes at all? No, no, no changes to sea lanes whatsoever. Are you going to change the Sahara? Please yes. change the Sahara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And is this still... Is, is, is There'll be no connection between the Atlantic and the Red Sea. Thank you. They're not considered the same bloody region. Thank you. No, 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 no. That, that now, you, you mean... I, 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 I think there's nothing wrong with you landing, say, in this um, area down the southern bit of Morocco and moving through the desert all the way to Egypt. That's cool. Do that in three moves, bang. Yep. Well, so, you, so you think that these... Um, we should create land sea lanes yes, in those areas. You should. But why? They don't move fast. They're the desert. It takes forever. But it still gives the same. Like, the reason that's like that is. You want to be able to move it over at a reasonable clip, but not at such a fast clip as to disadvantage everyone, right? Okay, so quick question. I'm trying to remember this from Europa Renovatio, but like, where you've got a... Um, the same dude just keeps walking round and round and round by himself with his little mini ghetto blaster. He's loving life. He is. I think he's, he, he loves life. Good for him. Anyway, so can you... Where, where, where you've got a, a, a like a, a, a like a 90 degree, you know, four corner states thing happening in, like in the US sense... Are you able to currently traverse from one over the diagonal into the other? Yeah. Oh, well, that would make it faster. Listen, go one to two, to three to four, to five, to six. Oh, no, maybe not so fast. Yes, but no, just put like a, one of these rectangles in each of those Sahara zones. And so you can move from Sahara West to Sahara Central to Sahara East. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Think about it. I am. The land ocean. It is going past again. Looks a bit like Chris Martin. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, um, maybe, maybe. I can see where you're coming from, but I kind of think it's the fucking desert, Kana. So maybe you kind of go across on camels. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Ships of the desert. Yeah. Well... Remember when I spoke to you first about sea lanes? And yes. you're like, oh, I don't get them, I hate them, I don't understand it, yep. what's going on, makes no sense, and now you love them. Well, only in that one game that I won. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't been able to replicate that since. But anyway, so what my earlier point with the um, Europa Renovatio game, when we were talking about Denmark doing so well, and what kind of popped into my mind around this was... Um, do you have the normal map here? Uh, yep, go to that one. Yep. And then go to Europa. No, go to Europa. The starting map. Mm-hmm. So, what's interesting here is that Denmark 
borders this whole Holy Roman Empire area of these bucket load of neutrals with no armies in them. But he never gets them to start off. No, but like, originally I thought maybe it does well because it can just come straight into here into um, Hamburg and Lube and everything like that. But I guess then I'm going to actually argue against my own thinking. You've got other areas around this too which could just as easily go into it and eat it all up. My thinking is that it's accessible but defensible coastlines. Now what do I mean by that? Right. So say for instance, if you control Gulf of Bothnia as Sweden, you you actually guarantee that you've got one, two, three, you've got those four, five supply centres in your control. No one's going to convoy them. You mean three? One, two, three, four, five. Oh, yeah, five. okay, right? I didn't no see that one. No one's going to convoy two of them, right? Likewise with the Adriatic. If you control GVN or the Adriatic, then whoever controls those two sea territories ensures that there's not going to be any convoys going through there without their permission. Definitely. Yeah? Just like the Aegean. If you control the Aegean, you're in a really good position in that space. Yep. Yeah, that, that's my thinking. Some of these other sea territories, though, um, old mate's back <laughs> again. <laughs> if, if, if you have a look at Norway, right, this, this central north ocean is, is essentially, it's, it's next to impossible to actually defend because it's so exposed to one, yeah. two, three, four, five, six other sea lanes, whereas Gulf of Bothnia is only exposed to two. Yep. Yeah, likewise, GVN or Adriatic is only exposed to one or two each. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, limiting the amount, that, that's my that's my theory as to why okay. Denmark kind of does well, because around Denmark, each of its supply, its sea lanes, are kind of, um, they're controllable. As sea lanes, right? Yep. They don't have that many other sea lanes around. That's my thinking. And from that, it gives you a good base of projection. Now, there's no reason why Sweden can't take advantage of that if they conquered Denmark early or the Teutons or any of these other ones, right? But that's just my thinking in that, you know, these other areas, they're probably thinking more land armies. Yep. Because they've got land armies against them, whereas Denmark's like, I'm surrounded by ocean, really. So he moves fast to gain control of those strategic sea lanes. Right, so you think it's more a sea lane thing rather than access to the Holy Roman Empire vacant supply centres? I do. Going to get another boombox? No, I thought I thought I'll make this back again. <laughs> righto. Rightio. I think it was a bit of a wrap. What do you think? I think... Cheers. Cheers. I'm Kana. I'm Ambi. Listen to us at all places you can listen to good podcasts. Stitcher. Yep. And especially the bad podcasts. And the bad podcasts. (laughs) You know, we're all there together. Um, Like us. Become a Patreon, damn it. Yep. And, you know, oh, just drop us a line. Say, you guys. Join join up to be part of uh, Kana's cabinet. Come the, uh, his glorious victory, um, election thing in November 
Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs>